good morning. Welcome to Weather and Limits, episode 25. With me, as always, is the Imperatrix Knox. Hello. And here we are doing episode 25's impact play, because we had to do it eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of one-on-one, lots of good information. At some point, we have to talk about safety in play, because, you know. It is important. Kind of the point of what all the rest is about, isn't it, at the end of the day? It may not be the playing primary safe. meaning, but playing is a part of it. <laughs> Big part of it. It's the fun part about what we do. Absolutely. Well, it is for me anyway. I have no shame. <laughs> so today we're talking about the impacts. Very much Impacty so. things. Not just, you know, not just about technique per se, although that probably plays a part of it, but safety most importantly is... Mm-hmm. You know, you will see people at an event, and I, I I like making the joke, but it's not really intended as anything serious. The I remember my first kink, <laughs> and a lot of people consider it or treat it like a doorway kink, and I don't I don't really see it as a doorway kink in any capacity because it definitely have depth. Ask any spanko, impact has depth, very big depths. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it's the one you will see the most commonly. It's the one many people enjoy the most commonly. And that's understandable because it's the one you pick up so easily. You know, if you've never walked into a kink event before, you still have some idea about beating ass. If that's something you're into (laughs) in the first place. Let's just call it what it is, though. Well, because a lot of people, when they're engaging in bedroom kink, um, you know, impact is a part of that. You know, the light spanking. Just restraining. It's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. I I know for me personally, that was one of the first things that I got exposed to after reading about fetish and reading about things like that, because that's, that was my, my start into it. Right. I, I was very well read and read all the, the nice, sexy, smutty books. And then I met a real person and realized, you know, wow, people do this stuff. And, and I, and I, the guy that, spanked me the first time actually was a vanilla boyfriend he he didn't identify as kinky he wasn't a swinger there wasn't on any of those spectrums um but he did like spanking and I years f- later when i pointed out to him that it was kinky he was like that's not kinky there there wasn't like whips and chains and stuff and it's like <laughs> spanking is a form of impact play like spanking is still is. essentially kink like it's not a quote-unquote norm in the bedroom if you're just being sexual not at all. And it's, we don't think about it because it's, it's been mainstream for normal many, to us. long before <laughs> kink became remotely mainstream, even like when yeah. I was, you know, we won't get into pre 18, all of that, but you know, no. even, know. even the partners I had prior to being 18, you had people who were like, can you spank me? And like, that mm-hmm. was a very, not common, but it wasn't completely out of the, for that sort of light thing to happen. And I think people yeah. forget that. Like, you know, I, I hate making the joke about choke me daddy and all of that, which we hear these days. And it's, it is ridiculous now, but the, the light handcuffs and light spanking was not uncommon to find in bedrooms across the world, no matter how vanilla, because mm-hmm. it is just a light, oh, it's something different in the bedroom, quote unquote. <laughs> well, it was just considered rough sex. Like for, mo- for exactly. most vanilla people, when you say, hey, I like rough sex, that's what they picture is pinning your partner down, doing the spanking, maybe some biting, you know, scratching with your fingernails and, you know, not leaving any marks or anything else for which. Yeah. You're not, you're not talking about lasting kind of a thing, but usually 
when people take it a little bit further and they like seeing those, the bruising and stuff like that, those are folks typically that even if they're not identifying as kinky per se, they've delved into kink and fetish porn. They've delved into some other stuff to where they're aware, um, you know, and, and that's kind of the other thing I like to stress is that it, you don't have to identify as kinky. A lot of, I think a lot of people get no. hung up on that. Not at all. You know, they're like, oh, if I admit that I like X, Y, and Z, that means I'm kinky and I've got a label and people are going to look at me funny. And it's like, Hell no. it, you don't have to use the terms if you don't want to. I mean, it's your identity. The but... beauty about labels is they are entirely voluntary. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel mm -hmm. you're kinky, then don't be kinky. And no oh, one can yeah. tell you that you have to be. I like rough sex. It's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. No one's obligated. Now, if you break out the bondage toys and, you know, <laughs> the latex, I think people are going to be unconvinced. But you're certainly allowed to go there. I mean, that's between you and whoever it is you're talking to at that point, really. It's certainly not my but, business. It's not my journey. I, w I would say, too, though, that now especially like you go into any sex shop and there is now more bondage and fetish gear available, especially impact toys. You know, it's, it's nothing to walk into what I would call like a standard sex shop that used to be vibrators and lingerie. And now all of them have a section for BDSM and all of them have impact implements. And I'm not talking about quality because let's all be honest, if you're in this lifestyle, you know that those are shit quality typically, but you at least you are exposed ever. to, you know, whips, floggers, canes, crops, you know, and yeah. granted in those shops, they're not typically going to be toys that are going to do any kind of like real damage, stereotypically no. speaking, but it puts it in the mind of people. And I think kind of talking about impact today, because we've done all the one-on-one stuff, getting into the nitty gritty of why we like to beat someone's ass or have our ass beaten. Like, I, I think that like you said, the gateway part, right? A lot of people start with the spanking, the rough sex, and then they're like, hey, I want to do this a little bit more. You stumble across some porn and you're like, wow, that's really hot, you know, and you start picturing yourself in the different roles, you know, and the fantasy starts to take over. And then you meet other people that are like, yeah, we do this too. And you, I think a lot of people get intimidated when you start talking about safety. I think and, so. And rightfully, I think, think they it's should. a much bigger thing. Like they think safety and a lot of people that I've talked to over the years, their immediate thought process makes this box that looks huge compared to everything else. Like yeah, the equivalent of a box truck. Like when you talk spanking, people think of the cab. The moment you talk about safety <laughs> and spanking, they look at the rest of the truck, so to speak, and they see this thing yeah. as monstrosity. And I understand why. And I'm not saying it doesn't deserve that level of attention. But it shouldn't necessarily be this monstrosity that you're afraid of talking about or looking at. Far from it. Because it is a part of the process, specifically for enjoying it without mm -hmm. complication. That's really the key element. It's like we say all the time about, you know, we talk till we're blue in the face about vetting, negotiation, mm -hmm. all of these things. And we constantly stress them, but we stress them so that when you have them handled already, Outside of things beyond your control, which life is life and human is human, things can happen. But in 85% of cases, everything will run smoothly because you've already done the legwork to make sure it does. So even if there's yeah. a hiccup in what happens, you're already prepared to handle it. And I think that's an important part of it to me. 
for me personally. Obviously, everybody's mileage may vary. I think for me, like, I always harp on safety with people, especially when I, I find that they're new, because it's so easy. And I'm not even talking about the frenzy side of the bullshit that we get into. But, like, right. just when you're new and everything is shiny and sexy and fun and exhilarating, you tend to forget that what you're engaging in is dangerous as shit. And, yeah. you know, with impact, I feel like a lot of people discount it pretty quickly because they're like, oh, I don't have deep tissue bruises. Like, you know, the stuff you see on FetLife, the big, deep, purple, nasty bruises that right. feel like leather three days later and, you know, these significant hematomas. And they're like, oh, I'm not playing to that degree, so I'm safe. And it's like, you're actually not. You still are putting your body in danger. You're putting your body through trauma. And if you're not aware of how your body heals or how to properly care for it, yes. it's going to make your ability to keep doing it less and less. And it's going to change the overall experience that you could be having. And so for me, when I start discussing safety around impact, it's because I want you to have the best experience possible. Right. Even post scene, you know, if you're the kind of person that likes sitting on that bruise or poking your tender spot and you're like, oh yeah, I did that. Yep. Like, we get it. We get it. We all like doing it. But I want you to be able to poke the bruise and not go, shit, I think there's something wrong. Exactly no, I want you to be able though. to poke your bruise and, and have a an exhilarated feeling, not, oh, shit, what did I do? I can't do that again. You I know, want, and, and there are yeah. there are times that people are pretty irresponsible with it, um, oh, especially absolutely. with marks. Well, my rule like, of thumb is always, I want you to be so excited about what you went through. And even the come down period that you can't wait for the next one. Mm -hmm. Like very yeah. simple stuff at the end of the day. I want you to have such a great time that you can't wait for the next one at all. Like you're like, oh God, I want more of this right now. Obviously there's, you don't want to necessarily go right away again, but. No, <laughs> no but I mean, it's, but that comes down to the safety aspect of it, right? right. It's like. Exactly. And and it's it's easy, it's very easy for a lot of that responsibility to be thrown on the dominance and the tops because it's like, you know, dominance and tops are so caught up with the fact of, you know, I have to make sure I'm hitting in the exact right place with the exact right speed and the exact right pressure and, you know, maintaining contact with the, the submissive or the bottom. And like, there's all these things and all this stuff that we place on the tops as far as responsibility while the thing is happening. But I think a lot of people forget that both of you are still responsible once things are over. So, you know, yeah. the care and healing, the emotional aspects of what you're getting into, because there's a lot of people that forget with impact play, it's visceral. Oh, yeah. And so there's an impact with what you're seeing several days later. I mean, it's one thing to sleep with somebody and, re and regret it. You don't necessarily have marks from it. And so you may have had a great fucking time that night at the club. And then three days later, as your bruises are healing and they're turning yellow and green and you look like you're molting, you start realizing what you've done and who you did it with. And there's even more feels. Yeah. Because then you get to up, the right? emotional, psychological mm -hmm. parts of it. And that's Absolutely. what lingers. Absolutely. And I think to me, a lot of those things are why impact to me is significantly in the edge play realm especially to the degree that like i know you and i play um oh, absolutely 
And even for folks that are more into like the sensation aspect of it, there's still an emotional play. impact. Anyone who doesn't understand that impact play can absolutely fall into edge play in a heartbeat. Come watch me do heavy body play with a willing participant who I've negotiated with. Mm-hmm. Dead serious. Absolutely. You want to talk about how hardcore it can get with the right person. Mm-hmm. And understand that that is not a norm. That is not a commonplace impact event. But it doesn't change that. It doesn't change how far it can go. Ask any Spanko. Spanking mm-hmm. can squarely fall right into edge play when it's taken far enough. And Spankos have some of the best specialized techniques I've ever met. Because what mm-hmm. they do is so specific that they've taken it to that next level. But on the same, on the flip side of that coin, also, I think part of that is also, I think that part of why people issue safety so easily with impact is it is, as we started with, like the people who come from vanilla land, whether they fall into kink eventually or not, like they're so used to light spanking. Being just something you do in the bedroom to spice things up, so to speak, or hard sex, Mm -hmm. not understanding that there is a difference in real hard sex versus what they think of and understand Mm -hmm. I'm not shitting on vanilla people's style or, you know, again, as we've said a thousand times, if you are a straight missionary monogamous person, that is your business. I will never be that person, but there's nothing wrong with that being your choice. Mm -hmm. Let me be very clear. That's no judgment whatsoever. Everybody has their preferences and comfort zones, and some people's comfort zones don't go where we go. And that is perfectly okay. I want you to enjoy your life to the fullest just as much as I do. They may look very different, but that doesn't mean you can't be just as fulfilled in your own head. And that's the part that matters. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Because I think that it's very easy to cu- get caught up in comparing yourself to others when it comes to performance because we naturally yes. do it. That's, that's a human thing. And kind of, kind of to one of the points in the chat, um, as an yes. S type, you, a lot of S types do feel like they can't advocate for themselves and it does cause a breakdown in communication. But what I've also found that's equally as important with that level of communication is that they start comparing themselves to other subs. And yes, that's we harsh. like anybody that's been in kink for any long five minutes or longer, not all masochists are the same. Not all submissives are the same. And they close. shouldn't be. Please don't. You know, like, it would be boring as shit if if every person was the same. I, but to Yeah. Well, but my point though is that it's easy to look at somebody playing and it's easy to look at um you know how people get bruised and stuff like that. And compare yourself i think i've lost track over the years and i've had partners on both ends of the masochist spectrum i mean from the other end of i'm doing this because you enjoy it and i don't really care for pain all the way to the other end of you're not doing it hard enough even after they've gotten black and blue and the problem is that even on either end of that spectrum i have had some missives look at me and say i'm not sure if i'm good enough for you in early periods just because they saw someone else playing and thought they weren't playing hard enough or to the satisfaction of because they looked at someone else's play and were like, I can't be that person. I'm not sure if I'm going to be enough for you, no matter right. what scale they're on. And it's yeah. I this is where I advocate for the fact that, you know, while, yes, it is a 50 50 road when it comes to 
communication and everything else, it comes back to, as we've said in our dominant episode, you've chosen the hat of responsibility. And while no, it doesn't fall all on you and it can't, you have to be prepared to take the onus on yourself when you choose to play with someone, at the very least to make sure you sit down and talk to them beforehand. It doesn't matter if you've met at the event, you both think you're each other hot, hey, can you spank me tonight? Sure, whatever. No, stop and have a conversation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if the other person has made that clear that they want to in the first place. Take them, sit them down, and talk about it. Make them feel comfortable. Make it clear that you want them to communicate with you. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of submissives out there who won't communicate if you don't encourage them because they don't realize it's okay, whether for whatever reason they've learned otherwise. I've, I can 100% say that I've been in dynamics where I was not allowed to. Yeah. Um, especially back when I was identifying as a submissive and, and a slave. You know, there's always that, that misperception of what those things mean. But I, there were often times that my feelings around the intensity of play and the type of play were 100% discounted because it was like, this is what I'm going to do right now. And Basically, I own your flesh. Yeah. And the fantasy of that is hot. Don't mistake me. We all understand that. It's hot as shit. Even to a degree, the practical application. There are so many other things that go into that specific exchange, you know, and, you know, there's especially dealing with different body types and, and hormones and everything else. Like I had to learn specifically as a submissive to be comfortable saying, I can't play to that intensity tonight and not follow it up with, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I can't play to that intensity. I had to stop that. It's I can't play to that intensity tonight. Well, and the worst part is it's like was said in the chat, and unfortunately it's it's something we've covered in previous episodes, but it doesn't change the fact that it's worth repeating regardless. It mm-hmm. is something that happens because there are a lot of gatekeeping. There are a lot of comparison-based and the D types are even worse than the S types in some ways that way. And we talked about how dominants don't communicate so often. Mm-hmm. And part of that is that they're so busy being like a dominant is or only a real dominant. Fuck you. I'm not <laughs> even going to sugarcoat that shit. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's one of the few it's things rude. I won't stand on. If you mm-hmm. are insisting on dictating how someone else's journey should look, mm-hmm. you can go fuck right off. You can stay out of my community. <laughs> I do not yeah. have time for that toxicity. And I don't care what your excuse is. You are hurting somebody else in the process who didn't ask for it. No, I refuse. And yeah. the same thing is true on the S-type scale. You know, we've talked on the S-type episode about my slave heart and you're not a real slave if. No, go fuck yourself too. Yeah. No, you don't because get to compare not, what it's... other S-types look like by your yardstick. You are not their dominant and it's not your journey. You don't have that right. Well, and we all know that three people can experience the exact same thing and have three different responses. And that's you know, okay. I mean, it's that's the point. that's how it's supposed yeah. to be. Mm-hmm. And that's why, to me, with impact, kind of circling back with yes. impact specifically, people people forget how much goes into how you experience impact play to begin with. I can tell yes. you, as a woman with a vagina. One of the things that impacts me huh, is my cycle. My cycle oh, no, no radically doubt. dictates how I experience pain. It radically dictates my energy levels and things like that. And I had to learn how to what that meant for me in play. 
both bottoming and topping, right? Like as a bottom, I found out where in my cycle I can take a maximum amount of carnage versus where I needed to throttle back and ease off because I knew my recovery was going to be three times as bad. As a top, I learned how to use the same information, if you will, because now I know when I can play at my hardest yes. and be okay. I know when I need to maybe not play quite so hard and do a little more aftercare on myself and be kind. And, you know, people ignore their bodies a lot because they get so excited about the fact that somebody is about to touch them, you know, because let's be real. The, the, one of the best parts about kink is somebody else is touching your body. And that connection is what we're here for. And impact is just a vehicle to get to it. But like, if you're yeah, not in the frame of Absolutely. mind. Absolutely. And if you don't, if you're not in the frame of mind to receive it, it's yep. not going to go well. It doesn't matter how well intentioned both of you are. You know, and and oh, I, absolutely. I really think people forget that. And, you know, yeah, to the point about frenzy. It's so easy to get caught up with the new shiny. It's so easy oh, to say, God, well, last yes. weekend was so fucking great. I want to do it again and then want to play every single day. And then you realize I'm black and blue head to toe. And if you've never had a deep tissue bruise, you don't know how to care for it. <laughs> See, this you really don't. This is one of those things where I am so grateful that I was raised in a household where I started from the bottom up and I was taught by receiving. I was taught as a bottom. Because mm -hmm. there were things that you and I'm not saying you can't learn you know, top down, and that's not possible. It is possible. I think it's very mm -hmm. different, but I'm not saying that's good or bad. Just so anyone listening is weird about it. I don't judge either way. Both methods are valid if the person is still competent at the end of the day. That's the key element there. But I'm grateful for myself because, you know, a 20-something-year-old dude with some hot young thing at the event saying, beat my ass till I'm black and blue, absolutely you get caught up in it. Without hesitation. Of course you do. You're feral. You're running with feral instincts. <laughs> You're feeding those things. Even I still feed them in some ways now, but it's a very different world now because what makes me tick is very different and it's more mental than it is physical. Sure. But when you're feral and you're running on hormones, it's so easy to get caught up in those thought processes and not stop. And I am yeah. grateful for having that house experience when I was so young. Because it taught me to settle down, to slow down, to not jump ahead of myself and get hot-blooded. And it's not that I was mm. never hot-blooded. It's that I learned how to check it much easier than if I had not learned it until I had been, say, 30, 40 years old. Because sitting down with someone, and yes, even as a non-vaginal hair, you know, owning person, mm -hmm. I still had those conversations not right away, but relatively early on with that aspect partners and impact partners where mm -hmm. it affected how they played. And so that was part of negotiation was like, now, if you're embarrassed about this, I understand, but. You know what taught me to ask those questions? This And it's like, so it's so random. Because I didn't realize how my cycle would affect things. I, I had no concept of it. And I wasn't around people that gave a fuck enough to, to instruct me through that process. Right. It was being tattooed by a female artist. Um, okay. She, we were, were talking one day and she noticed my pain tolerance was just garbage. I was having one of those days and it was, it was a rather involved piece. It was on my back. And typically I could sit for hours. 
And this right. particular day, I think I'd been sitting, sitting for like 45 minutes and I was just, I was fidgety. I was squirmy. And she's like, you are not doing well today. And so she asked me, so where are you at in your cycle? And I was like, the hell does that matter? And she was like, it matters a lot. Uh, and yeah. sure enough, you know, I was two days out and she's like, yeah, this, this is not the time for you to be getting tattooed. She's like, let's schedule this for two weeks. Give you, give you a chance for your body to, to chill out, calm down. And that is what set the tone for me moving forward, because that's what got me thinking, how much more does this impact? And then having, having people that I played with, because it also helped me pick out more quality partners, because oh God, that started yes. being something that I looked at. It was people, you know, especially at the time, because I was still a submissive, but having dominance that were like, as like you said, part of their checklist with you and their negotiation, you know, how are you feeling? Let's have a check-in. And, you know, at first I thought it was like sexual when someone would ask me that kind of stuff. And then it became, no, that that's invasive. Sure. But now I understand why, but because it's going to change reason. how I receive. Yeah. Pain. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, and I had to do that because when I first started engaging in public kink, um, because bedroom kink for me was radically different. So oh, when I got course. into the public kink, um, I 100% frenzied, 100% frenzied. <laughs> I was playing I every single night. I was going to the clubs as much as I could. You know, I was engaging in some pretty dangerous situations with people that I didn't know that I hadn't vetted, but it was like, hey, you're cute. Do you want to spank me? Awesome. Let's go uh -huh. find a spot. And about a year or so into that, it dawned on me, what the fuck am I doing? You know, and I started reining it in and getting, you know, quality play partners and surrounding myself with people that actually gave a shit about me as a person. And I, I bumped along that road merrily until I started topping. And when I started topping, you know, of course, safety was first thing. I learned all about safety. What areas of the body can you hit? Which ones should you not hit? Which ones is it okay to hit, but only if you hit a certain skill level? And, you know, I was... Going to classes with educators, I was, you know, started studying some martial arts to learn more about rough body play and, and stuff like that. And then I came across one key submissive play partner. And this guy changed my outlook and probably actually awakened what I call my sadist. <laughs> because I had never, I'll be honest, when I first started, I was fluffy. I was a fluffy dominant. I was all about sensation and sure I would hit you, but I was scared to hit people too hard because, you know, to me that was a consent violation. And I was, I was skittish. I was very skittish when topping and I hadn't quite figured out what I enjoyed topping. So I had to go through that evolution, right? And so I finally get through that evolution and the play, a play partner comes across me <laughs> and was one of the first peoples that was like, oh, I have no limits. And I was like, oh, God, one of those. <laughs> and it turns out this is the most masochistic person I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Um, he had been a professional entertainer and had done clips for sale and stuff with uh, a lot of very well-known dominants around the world. Um, he That's was such an featured experience to have. Well, and it, but it was intimidating because oh, I'll no, tell I'm you, sure. as a new, as a new dame, to play with a partner that I viewed of being that caliber, right? Like this, right. this dude knew more than I had even tried to dabble in. He'd forgotten shit about kink that I had never been experienced with yet, right? And so 
he was the one that actually really guided me and was able to show me what impact play could look like. And I remember a very distinct scene I had with another gentleman about that same time. So I was really starting to embrace the fact that I was a sadist and I liked doing mass carnage, that I wanted to see the bruising. I wanted to see the blood. And I was getting into more of the edgier side of shit, right? And I played with this guy. He was into whipping, spanking, paddles. Anything you could beat a person with, he was down for. So we'd had a great scene, and he had warned me, I have to see a doctor tomorrow, so if we do do marks, can we keep them in areas that'll be hidden if I'm seated? And I was like, sure. Absolutely. So butt, thighs, I can do that. Make sure nothing wraps around the thighs so there's no marks really visible from the front. Completely understand. Yes, I can accommodate that. We had a great scene. Um, we finished playing, and he decided to wander off with another dominant, have another scene afterwards. And I, I wasn't worried because, again, this experienced person. The problem was he was frenzied with the fact that there were new women around. So he was very excited and overstimulated with all, you know, the, the sexy, sexy times that could happen. So he wandered off with this new dom that I did not know very well and could not vet because I didn't know her. And I was open with him about that when he asked me about her. And I was like, well, go talk to her. I mean, I don't know who she is, but go talk to her. See if you click. Right. Did not realize I was setting him up for disaster. Because unfortunately, this young lady did not know what she was doing. Oh, no. I don't, I don't know how their negotiation went because I was not a party to it. But based on what I saw and what I saw afterward, I was horrified. Um, she beat him absolutely purple, front and back. He had whip marks that were absolutely bloody. Um, he had problems putting his clothing on. Now, granted, he had a great time. At no point did he say, you violated my consent. I want to make that clear. But based on the negotiations that I had had with him, I recognized that, that he, was, he was in the moment. Right. And sure enough, the next day, I, I get a, a message on FET, and it was like, hey, can I, can I call you? And I was like, yeah, what's up? Are you okay? And he's like, I went to my doctor's appointment today and they're sending me for a mental health evaluation because he saw the marks. And when I tried to explain that it was consensual, my doctor freaked out on me. And he was like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, reach out to your play partner first, like be responsible. You know, you know how to handle this, but also make sure that you're okay. Right. He was married. Wife knew he was kinky and was not a fan. So now he's dealing with all of that drama and bullshit. And he disappears for like six months. I would say it was about six months. Bree emerges back onto the scene. And sure enough, because of the marks that his doctor saw on his body, he was involuntarily committed for mental health evaluation for four days. Yeah. Uh, he lost his job. And we finally got to have that talk where I asked him, how did you negotiate that scene? Because I know how you negotiated with me prior. Right. It changed. And he's like, he, I would say, fell into that trap of thinking based on their experience levels that there were things that you didn't need to say because it was a given. And I was like, so you didn't tell her that you had a doctor's appointment. You didn't tell her that your marks needed to be contained to a specific area. And he goes, no, because no, I thought I that she understood. Yep. Dumb boy syndrome. Yeah. And so I was like, well. You know, I can't blame her because you didn't communicate it. Right. You no. Know, I do blame you because, you know, 
as as the person that was seeking this out, you should have been able to articulate. But right. I also understand why it happened, right? Like I sympathize with all the things that happened to you since, but you mm-hmm. did bring it on yourself. And well, I wouldn't say he brought it on himself. Well, I would just say that he failed to negotiate to correct. It. Yeah. To to the best of his ability, right? I always say that to your best of your ability because your ability That's changes. Better. Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> so and I will say she is still a member of, of the community. Um, she's a well-known dominant with a very good reputation. And she was affected by this too. And and I give her a lot of credit because she she didn't shy away from it. She was like, I failed to negotiate properly as a top. I could have handled this much better. Didn't think about it. Didn't realize where his head was at. Didn't even think that somebody at his level could, in a sense, be in frenzy. And it was just that perfect disaster of nobody communicating and yeah. everybody making assumptions. And the outcome was disastrous. Now, does that mean that that's going to happen in every significant impact scene? No. No. But it's something, I say that because it's something people need to be aware of, especially when you're playing to these, these upper degrees of injury. Yes. You know, because as a sadist, I deal with this a lot. I, I like carnage. It gets me off. Well, that's what gets me going. And not everybody can play to that. See, I I had the quote-unquote luxury, whatever you want to call that. You know, at the ripe old age of 22, um, you know, I say that, but, it, you know, three years into actively being kinky, I, I mm-hmm. was attending a party and absolutely I had sat down with someone who was, I was not at that point fully aware that I was a sexually linked math addict, uh, sadist. I was not aware that it's excited me sexually as well as just enjoying it. Which, for those that aren't aware, there is a difference between sadism and sexual sadism, just like there's a difference between masochism mm-hmm. and sexual masochism. And there are differences, because whether or not it arouses you is actually a distinct, separate psychological effect. Um, and I wasn't aware that it was linked for me at all at first, because mm-hmm. especially at 22, you're, you're already running with hormones. It's hard to separate any of that. That's true. But a particularly heavy masochist who was well-known in the community as such and whatnot had sat down with me and negotiated an impact scene because they really liked the way they had watched me play and whatnot. And they were also effectively giving me a chance to play with someone they thought would enjoy it more, so to speak. Because they saw that I clearly enjoyed what I was doing and was trying to give me an outlet that not every submissive was capable of giving. What I didn't know then, of course, was any of the follow-ups. So I didn't know that that, like, achievement unlocked, as it were. Like, I didn't realize this was (laughs) going to do this to me. And it was negotiated out that sex was not going to be on the table, which perfectly fine with, didn't bother me in the slightest. I was already actively trying to separate those two things so I could learn what I was enjoying properly. Because that's important. Makes sense. And it's way too easy to tie up sex with everything you do at that point because you're already caught up in the frenzy of all of this is wonderful and deep and dark and mysterious and fantastical and it's charging mm-hmm. your loins as well as your mind. And that's great. But in order to really find out the things you enjoy, you have to separate to some extent to learn where they actually make you tick. And this yeah, gave you me a chance into to do him. that. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as a result, so I played a lot harder than was intended. I beat the tar out of this bottom, to their credit. they Now, they sat down afterwards and were like, first off, I had no problem with any of that. 
but you should know we went a lot farther than what we had originally negotiated. And they were very clear about it. They weren't upset. They weren't angry with me, but they made it very clear that I had gone overboard, that I had taken yeah. Frenzy out. Yeah. And of course, I felt all the guilt. I felt all this terribleness and, you know, to their credit for follow-up. Mm -hmm. And this was where I learned how important follow-up was, was thanks to this person. Because they spent the next several days reassuring me, it's okay, it was your first time getting to experiment this way, I understand mm -hmm. the way you feel about it, you're not a monster, there's nothing wrong with you, you just have to learn where your limit point is, you have to remember how to negotiate. Like, they were actually really comforting about it, and I'm grateful, because if I had not had that experience, I wouldn't have understood it as implicitly so early on. That very much affected my journey going forward by a long shot. Yeah. And by the same token, just to put on the other foot of what we were just talking about with your your uh, experience with the other gentleman, I cannot stress, especially with impact play, as a big safety point. Any kink that affects how you look, anything that affects scars, bruises, etc. But impact is appropriate to that, so coming full circle back to it. Make sure you do talk about with a partner if you're going to a doctor's appointment in the next two days. Make sure <laughs> make sure that you have a kink-friendly doctor if you enjoy getting beat the hell up. Mm -hmm. If you like being scarred, if you like black bruises for three days, if you like looking like you were mauled by three bears. Nothing wrong with I mean, any of that. Oh, God, it is ever. But make sure you have a BDSM-friendly doctor who understands so you don't have the kind of experiences like what Miss Knox was just describing. You don't want that to be the result because they don't understand. Because it's not their job to understand. Their job to follow medicine practice. So if they are not fully versed, if they are not fully comfortable with it, they are not going to understand why you thought it was a good idea to have yourself turn purple. <laughs> mm -hmm. please make sure you take care of that for yourself it's a safety thing for both you and your top in that regard too because that person doesn't want to go through all of that psychological of oh god i put them in the hospital or i made them go to a shrink or nobody wants any of that you don't want it they don't want it make sure you talk about those things you know and as a top i I personally say if you are going to negotiate at that level of hardcore bruising and beating, make sure you bring up, do you have a kink-friendly doctor? Is it something we should be concerned about coming up soon? Have those questions. Yeah, yeah that's key. Because and, and it makes all the difference. <laughs> I think, too, one of the things about impact is a lot of people don't know what questions to ask. They know what yes. to, they know how to say hit me with this thing or hey uh, I found this this cool cool implement that I want to hit somebody with are you down and people just go yeah sure or no that looks too stingy or thought you you know whatever it is right yeah they don't really know to ask other questions such as what kind of a mark is that going to leave or can I hit myself with it first yep. you know that's I like I'm not one of those people that thinks you have to submit to a scene with a new toy to know what that toy feels like in order to use no. it in another person. I've never been one that described to that because much like knife play, I don't need to be stabbed to know that's probably going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, when I buy a new flogger or a cropper or, or really any implement that I am intending to use for kink play, 
I will hit myself with it. You know, and because I want to know when what swinging it feels like, but I also want to know what sensation is it going to produce if I'm doing it to myself? Because I know yes. when I'm hitting another person, it's probably going to be 10 times different. But I want to have a, an ability to also explain it to someone when they, they see the toy and they go, so what does that feel like? Here, try and it All out. I can say is hit yourself with it. Well, and it gives you, you that, decide if that's okay. Yeah. Well, and it gives you the level of control to try out. How does this feel if I'm gentle versus if I beat myself? Like you get mm -hmm. to have that choice in advance and say, Ooh, I really want you to hit the hell out of me with that. Versus you don't know what it's going to feel like otherwise until it's out and in the open and in play. And then if it's not what you want, you have to first stop and be like, okay, we need to stop that. Which, don't get me wrong, is valid. But it comes back to the streamlining of safety by covering those things in advance so that during play, you're not in the middle of it, knee deep in it, and you have to stop. Because yeah. the sensation jerked you out of subspace because you didn't prep beforehand. You don't want that. Your Tom mm -hmm. definitely doesn't want that. Because then you both have to spend that much longer getting back to where you were. Correct. And it's not that anybody's wrong. Like, obviously, communication's key. Obviously, if there's a problem, you stop. But if you were able to preempt it by taking care of those things in advance with unasked questions, with brutal questions, you know... Not everybody's going yeah. to be comfortable with, are you currently, you know, how's your cycle right now? Or how bad do you want to be beaten? Do you have a king-friendly doctor? These are not casual questions, and I recognize that. But if I'm negotiating a scene that's more than a light spanking with you, be comfortable with those questions. Because you should be able to talk about them. You are two consenting adults doing something that is consensually risking of damage. In some way, whether mild or heavy, you mm -hmm. should be prepared to have an adult conversation about it. Because yeah. otherwise, why are you there? If you still, if somebody asks you where you are on your cycle and you giggle and look away and turn red and have to walk away from the conversation, <laughs> don't ask to be beaten black and blue. I mean, it's too dangerous. I mean, that's a I little, mean, that, that... it sounds a little ridiculous and I don't mean it to be, but it's not wrong. If you're not comfortable enough to yeah. have that conversation with a partner who's going to do it to you, you probably shouldn't do it. Yeah. Because that is about safety. It really is. It's not about anything else. No one's going to judge you for that. No one cares where you are on your cycle. It's that we're worried about where you are for purposes of how you will be affected in a scene. No more, no less. Well, but the thing is, though, is the ability to self-advocate is key yes. because you you know, again, play partners are not mind readers. You know, we might be empaths and such, but we're not actually reading your mind to know where you're at and everything else. And so if you're not, and, and to be fair, there are times that you're not able to articulate some of that. And it's perfectly acceptable to look at your partner and say, you know, I'm dealing with some other things, but here's what I can articulate right now. There is more stuff going on, but I don't know how to explain it. Um, because I play with a lot of folks who are neurodivergent, and so sometimes they, they can't explain it. They yes. just know that they're having emotions and they're having feels and stuff like that, or there's something that they want to experience, but they don't know how to explain it because they've never experienced it. Um, and typically when I'm playing with somebody that falls into those categories, when they can't articulate something to me and they can't really effectively tell me things, I don't play to that same degree. 
right. I will start intentionally lower and slower and be able to ask those questions. Does this feel good? Do you want me to go harder? Do you need me to ease up? Um, how's the rhythm for you? You know, or do you feel like this is something that can get you to that headspace that you wanted to reach? And once we can get through that five to 10 minutes of me peppering with questions, then I better know how to start guiding an actual scene. Yes. And I'll ask them, do you want to have a scene now? Now that we've kind of gotten to know each other a little bit and you kind of see what I'm about, what the toys feel like, let's talk about this. You know, and and I make actually make play partners like I put out all my toys and I make them tell me which ones are good and which ones aren't and the ones that aren't I put in the bag and I put them away so that there's not even a chance of me accidentally grabbing something that they didn't agree to right just take it out of the equation you know and there have been times that I've been playing with somebody and I hit them with something and they were like oh yeah I'm not okay with that now did they consent to it sure but they also revoked consent for that specific item it doesn't mean that we're done playing and I think people forget that you can do that mid-scene, that it's okay to say, I know I said that toy was okay. I'm not feeling it tonight. That doesn't feel right to me. And we put that one away. That's a completely valid thing to say. Um, I, I, I will also say from a top perspective, there, there are a lot of times that bottoms and submissives will try to push you into avenues that you're not comfortable performing in. Yes. Um, and I think that needs to be said because I've talked, I've talked about before how my consent has been violated during scenes as a top, but there, there is still this weird fallacy that tops don't get violated the same way submissives do. And it's bullshit. No, um, <laughs> that's bullshit. And right. I say that because I have had multiple times um, and it may just be the dynamic of being a femdom. You know, I'm playing with primarily men too. I mean, there's, weird shit that happens because of that but i have had subs almost in a sense try to pick a fight with you to try to push a scene in a direction that you're not comfortable with it going and i've had to look at people and take their restraints off put everything down and go we're done absolutely i told you that i'm not willing to do these things you keep trying to push me into doing these things with you i told you that i'm not comfortable go find somebody else who's willing to do that because it's not me and yeah. we're not even talking about scenes where I, you know, and I'm not even talking about my forays into the dominatrix realm. I mean, I'm talking about just lifestyle community play partners. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, paid sessions are a completely different animal. But, you know, I've, I've had that happen to me several times now. And it's, you know, each time when you take them down off the cross and, and you tell them we're done, I'm putting my shit away. And they look at you like, wait, why? What's going on? And it's like, you know, you wanted to keep pushing. Well, now you get to experience my emotional sadism. Well, and yeah, I, I don't know what else to do with you. I can touch on both ends of that because one, as someone who is notably neurodivergent, which is probably why I negotiate so heavily in the first place anyway, um, because that has always been something I've been predisposed to because for me, it makes sense. So I do start with a battery of questions and conversation and. As was spoken about in the chat, I personally don't ascribe to play contracts, but I've seen them in use and I don't have any problem with them. I think they're a great move, too. I think they're also an effective tool for those that are preference to them, uh, preferential mm -hmm. to them, excuse me. I personally have never felt the need because I already effectively have a pre-scene interview because that's just what works for me. 
And I don't think enough people understand the phrase that I've used the most often when I say, I am not afraid to call scene. And yeah. people think I'm, you know, it's just a thing I say, and it's not. It's something I have had to oh. do more than once. Yeah. It, mm -hmm. It's, I have had someone who's like, well, you had all these questions ahead of time, so now we know where we're at, so it's not a big deal if. No, mm. that is not how this works. I don't care what gender you are. I don't care where, what kind of scene we're playing with. I don't care if it's public or private. If we have not talked about it and we've started, you don't get to shift midway and expect me to just roll with it. I will absolutely call you out on that. Not because I have a problem with moving around things. It's that if you sure. want to shift things mid-scene, you need to communicate with me. I have gone out of my way to communicate with you, make it clear that I want you to be verbal or otherwise communicate in scene. And what and I am one of those who covers if you go nonverbal, do you do nonverbal and all of that? So you've had every opportunity to talk to me. You had every opportunity to realize if you need to change things up, I'm more than willing to talk and listen, even in the middle of a scene. If you just yeah, do absolutely. it at that point, no. You've been yeah. given the opportunity to be an adult about it, and I don't play that way. Because that's when things go sideways. And I Because am not... you're not speaking the same language. Well, right. And it's, yeah. you know, especially as someone who's had to move into now the third community in life, not just online. My reputation matters to me. And it's not because I'm some big, bad, covered master. Or any of that. I, I know it sounds more dramatic that way. And I don't, I mean it to be a little silly. <laughs> Because it's not about that. It's not like I have mm. this amazing reputation everywhere I go. I'm just a guy doing play. Yeah. When, you know, in the places I've played, I have got a reputation. That's because I maintain it. And I maintain it by following the protocols I do. It means I do sit down and have negotiated scenes that are like that. I do not let my t reputation get damaged by someone because they are not behaving. It's not that it can't happen. Accidents, mistakes happen anywhere. And I've certainly had my share and I've had my reputation suffer because of mistakes. I don't have a problem owning that. I'm human. But they weren't because of something I had control over. Yeah, That's the difference. I go out of my way to give as much human control over both of our ability to communicate before the scene starts. So that if in the middle of a scene, you need to stop me and say, hey... This feels a little too much, too little, whatever. Is it still possible to talk about it and change it up? Yes. Thank you. That is the whole point. <laughs> I think for me, and you touched on it, that consistency. Yeah. Because I think, I think that's, that's, and that's also how you build a reputation, right? But like that, that consistency and how you communicate, the consistency and how you negotiate it also allows the people that you're interacting with to learn how to interact with you back. And I think that's, that's how you build trust. I mean, you got to yes. be consistent in your communication, but like, I, I feel like that's very undervalued because the culture within the community now is really based on pickup play yeah. and the culture. We've talked about this. The culture is really based on, We'll call it surface level interactions, right? Transactional yes. kink, like I've called it in the past. And I feel like because of that, a lot of the communication is getting cheapened and it's becoming quick and dirty. Yes. And that lack of thoroughness is what causes problems. That lack of truly understanding 
and making sure that you're both on the same page. Like there are times during, especially with impact and breath play and, and some of the edgier stuff, I will double check with somebody and say, hey, you're using this term. I think I know what it means, but I want to hear from you what your definition yes. is, because I want to make sure you and I are, are actually talking about the same thing. Absolutely. Edging, edging is a prime example. <laughs> so again, the realm of the femdom. Um, I was at a party, did a thing called meat market where different play styles are put up on the whiteboard and you can put yourself underneath each play style as top or bottom to help people maneuver, negotiate, just meet each other and, and kind of get people talking. Yeah. I was at this event. I signed up under edge play as a bottom. Of course, that pings my radar because I'm like, well, who is this dude? And I go find him, tall drink of water. I'm like, this looks like it could be a great night. You know, you start having that, ooh, this is going to look up. <laughs> so I walk over to him. Yeah. So I walk over to him and I'm like, hey. Yeah, I'm Knox. I noticed that you signed up for edge play. Can you tell me what it is that you're looking to experience? And he's like, well, yeah. He's like, well, how, how do you engage in edge play? And I was like, well, I've got a variety of knives. Um, I can also do some stabby things. Um, <laughs> it kind of just depends on what you're looking for. And he like turned white and he was like, oh, I think I've misunderstood. I was like, let me guess. You thought it was edging. And he goes, yeah, I like doing orgasm denial and CBT. I didn't realize edge play was something different. And I was like, this is why we talk. Right. I was like, I'm really glad to know that. I'm still down to do that kind of a scene with you. Um, but, you know, yeah. I mean, I like both things are equally fine with me. Like they're both very much in my wheelhouse. And he was like, yeah, I was looking for, for actual edge edging play. Um, wow. I didn't realize he's like, ah, I need to go fix that. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, cool. I'm glad I could help. Absolutely you know? though. And, and it was a no harm, no foul, right? Like that was yeah. a simple. And, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't belittle him. I didn't make him feel stupid or, you know, anything like that. And likewise, he didn't make me feel stupid. It was like, okay, cool. High five. Have a great night. And it's what we call a healthy he interaction. Did. Oh, it absolutely was. And he was a really nice guy. I've seen him since. And now we kind of chuckle about it because I'm like, hey, so are you feeling edgy tonight? And he's like, oh, my God, just I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, and so now it's cute, that's right? But that's what I mean is that's why it's so important to make sure that you're speaking the same language. Oh, God, yes. You know, it's well, because it's really easy to say, oh, yeah, I'm a masochist. Well, that means different things to different people. Well, it's the kind of thing kind of like, a uh, like I am grateful that I was able to get the time off. I'm going to be attending uh, Wicked's Taboo Night next weekend, which I'm so excited Exciting. for. And the Me thing too. is, is I don't think enough people understand. Like, I don't go my first event of a play nature. I don't go to play. I actively don't go to play. I go to network. I get to know people. I let them get to know me. I spend more of it communicating and chatting and getting to understand people. Because by the time I actually want to sit down and talk about play with someone, we've had a chance to know each other on some level. I don't mm -hmm. play on first meetings anymore. You know, when I was 22 and everything was hot-blooded, that was one thing. It's the nature of being feral. By the time I was 25, I would go to events and not expect to play. Mm -hmm. 
Because one, the kind of play I do more often than not is hard enough that it frequently will be Mm -hmm. private anyway, which is fine. And I understand that there's differences and why there's differences. But also they usually require sitting down and having a long conversation first. Yeah. So preempting that rather than, oh, you're cute, want to get beaten or some other ridiculousness (laughs) or, hey, you look great, would you beat my ass tonight? I don't hold those conversations. I'm not fueled that way because I want it to be enjoyable enough for both of us. And I can't Mm -hmm. get that or give that with someone I just met five minutes ago. Yeah. And I am looking to make your experience the best it can be. If you approached me for whatever reason and asked for me to play with you, I want you to have the best experience possible. So I am not going to meet you five minutes off the gate and be like, yeah, sure. Let's go find a horse. I'm not. I'm not that person. And there's people that have been frustrated by that. Absolutely. That are like, oh, "Oh, well, my bad. And I'm like, then I'm not the top for you. And that's okay, too. Go find one. That's okay. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not. My feelings are not hurt. That's what you were looking for. You can go find it. Someone will oblige you. And good luck. Enjoy your night. Mm -hmm. But the people who have, sometimes it takes two or three hangouts or coffee dates or I say dates. It's not like I'm romantically inclined to them or anything like that. It's I have that time to get to know each other because more often than not, especially if it's the kind of play where it's deeper, like heavy knife play or needle play or heavy body play or anything of a larger nature where it's not something you do at a public event in the first place. Mm -hmm. I want to get to know you at that level because more often than not, ideally, you'll be a regular play partner. I don't do a lot of pickup play. And part of that is because of the kind of play I have and the kind of kinks I enjoy. I don't want you to feel like you should, like, meet me once, have a hardcore scene, and then never speak to each other again. Now, there's nothing wrong with it. That's your preference, and we can talk about that, too. Not saying that's off the table. I can absolutely high-five somebody, say, hey, that was a great time, and then walk away. Like, that that does not phase me at all. I I agree If that's what you're going for, that's fine. But that's yeah. why we have a meeting just beforehand, be upfront with just it. to be upfront about goals mm-hmm. and seeking. And and more mm-hmm. often than not, it does build that kind of regularity where more often than not, they do want to have another one. Because I mm-hmm. did go through the trouble of making it the best thing they could get by sitting down and having that pre-negotiation and asking all the questions and goals and long term. and yeah. Because they don't get used to that anymore. They're used to someone being like, oh, you're hot. Want to get beaten? Because it's the instant gratification. Right. And again, there's nothing Mm -hmm. invalid about that if everyone's being safe and consensual. It's just not where I play personally anymore on purpose on a regular basis. You know, it's just not where I'm at. So let's steer this back to something fun since we've been like deep in the shit. We've we've dug enough into the safety end of things. So I want to ask you a frivolous question. Shoot. What is your favorite impact toy or method of impact? I guess I should honestly, say. my hands. Um, okay. I have others, um, and I'll say something on that also in a second. But I worked with concrete and drywall in my twenties. I have always oh, been brutal. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. am very came with my family. My dad was, you know, a blue collar guy. My grandfather was an electrician in the you know 60s in new york he used to be nicknamed plier hands because he hands like vice grips now obviously that's not current events like kink or anything but it comes in the family that way we all have a natural tendency to use our hands and do heavy lifting 
So I've always had heavy hands and I've learned the level of control needed that I can really enjoy abusing them, so to speak. And I say that okay. because there's nothing quite like having it where, you know, I come out the next day and that middle finger's got that one swelled under knuckle because I beat the tar <laughs> out of someone with it and it hurt me as much as it did them. I'm yeah. happy about yeah. that shit. I'm not even a masochist, but that's a scene well done. I love it. <laughs> because I can do almost the same level of bruising as I do with whipping and thudding and stinging. Almost. Obviously, there are tools that can get much further because of the way they are built. Yeah. But I can do a lot of damage with my bare hands. And I've found that a lot of people, once they realize that, tend to enjoy them as much as I do. Um, I can see that. Right. That said, I, I do have a pig stick. And it literally is a pig stick. It was bought from a farm supply. Because, you know, <laughs> money. If you're into kink any length of time, farm supplies are your friend. If you don't understand this yet, you will. Um, but it's literally just a three-foot solid steel stick. And it beats Thuddy like nobody's business. You have to have control, though. Because it is yeah. long enough, you're not going to pinpoint accuracy, strike a single spot perfectly the way you would with a whip or a smaller implement. You have to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But man, does it hit. That's amazing. That's why I always like to ask that question, because people's perspectives are so much fun. I mean, you're, you're not the only person I've heard say that. And I, and I have found playing with people that have had the same, like, blue-collar experience, yes, their, their hands feel radically different. Oh, Radically God, yes. different. In a, well, in a very we, delicious way. Because we already enjoy working with our hands, it's a gratification mm -hmm. thing, too, for us. So, yeah. you know, but it also means you have to learn all that control. Yes. It absolutely, because <laughs> yes. you, not just because of Especially safety. Especially when you get desensitized. Oh, yeah. Well, not just because yeah. of safety also, but because it gives you so much control over what you're doing in a scene. The mm -hmm. level of ramp up, the level of heavy hitting you can do is so abnormal for someone who doesn't have the same kind of hands and i'm not saying that people can't get just as brutal obviously i would never say that i know that's possible oh yeah oh yeah but there's a finger whipping yes finger whipping is a whole different experience too for the same kind of reasons and i am <laughs> i am good at both because of the nature of the way i play with my hands i can be thuddy <laughs> and stingy and i can do a tremendous amount of control implements of all kinds with both of those with tremendous precision because I've been doing it for so long. That's awesome. It's amazing. And it's more amazing for a partner who's not used to it yet because they weren't expecting it. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> They're sure. like, oh, wait, that was your hands? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, surprise, motherfucker. It, mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, I do enjoy a good flogging. I think floggers are fun. Um, cat and nines are a personal favorite. They're just not at the same height of scale as... That's all. Yeah. But they are still have their places, and I still enjoy them. I, I still prefer to have a bag full of everything. <laughs> no, and I, and I think that's important, right? Like, I 100% think that's important. I just, I like hearing from other people. It's like, what do you like? Like, I know what I'm into, and it's always well, great to hear other perspectives. And I want to put the shoe on the other foot. What are your personal favorites, since we haven't? Canes. If we're talking impact, canes. I can Canes totally of every, respect like, that. <laughs> yeah, like, there is something about seeing that instant stripe. Yes. On someone's ass or on their breasts. Like, 
Love it. Love it. Like one of my favorite places to cane is the pectoral. Um, yes. Also the upper, the, on the, the backside, um, the upper thigh where it meets the butt cheek. Like that's mm-hmm. those two things for me. If I'm not doing genitalia. Um, well, and obviously that's a different, yeah. Well, cause I, I'm into that too, right? Like I, right. I love genital torture. But like, I mean, I'm into it. It's just a little different with many of the partners I've played with. <laughs> Well, and it's and it's funny because like I've I've got some partners that are also very much into to that and spanking and stuff like that. So I've I've been early, early in my zone for quite some time now because I've been really fortunate that I found some other folks that are into the same thing. So I, yeah, like blood caning, um, yes. very much into that. Obviously, don't always have to play to that that extent for me to feel like I've had a great time. No, but but it's like still when I get the chances to do that, yeah, oh. it's like a treat. Oh. That's all. It is. It's like getting it your is. favorite That's piece icing. of cheesecake that once every couple of months or whatever. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Absolutely. It's a great reward. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, I would have to say caning. Flogging would be my run- runner up because I do enjoy flogging. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to think I'm good at it. <laughs> but like, like at this stage, I would hope I'm good at it. Um, but flogging, I like for completely different reasons. Like, I, I appreciate the range of sensations you can do with flogging. And I feel like not every pool that you find in kink has that same kind of dexterity, you know. And so I, I think I think I, that part tends to be really fun. And I do prefer, well, so if I'm being flogged, I prefer thuddy floggers. If I'm flogging someone else, I'm kind of ambivalent. Um, I've got one flogger that is so heavy, it sounds like you're being hit by a thunder block. And then I've got some stingy <laughs> floggers that are actually more like whips. Absolutely. So like, I've, like, it really depends. But like, and it's rare for me to bottom anymore. But when I was bottoming consistently, I really did enjoy thuddy flogging. And I still, I, I will do it on occasion now just for relaxation. Um, because I've got some floggers that are nice and soft too. But yeah, it's, I've kind of, I've kind of got a wide range when it comes to that. Just because, and I've got a couple of floggers that they're, they are stingy and I can use them almost like a whip, but the marks uh, that they use end up looking like I hit you like with something solid or like I punched you. Right. So oh, it's yeah. kind of like a neat, cause I've used floggers like a baseball bat. Um, but I've also <laughs> got, I've got a scale mail flogger. It, yeah, that yes. one's, and it's intimate. It's funny. So I love watching people's face when they see it for the first time because it's usually insta fear and curiosity. Oh, I'm sure. Because they're like, oh my God. Like the first thing I get is, what the fuck is that? Instant and then I get arousal. the, what does that feel like? And then it's like, well, it's metal, so it's going to cut me. And it's like, no, actually, it doesn't. It's an impact. It feels thuddy. But if you want to do blood play, this is a great one too because the ends of it, yes. if I hit shallow, can do micro, um, micro slices and so i have had some great blood scenes with it well that's like there's nothing quite like a spanking scene with vamp gloves i mean Mm -hmm. the whole spanking with vamp gloves are great oh god it's so good it's so good i got to watch a scene like that not that long ago and it was like somebody else is doing it (laughs) it's so amazing because you get so much out of it and it's Mm -hmm. it's a little more like it's low-key for blood play it's not as hardcore I mean, it's blood play. It's still obviously edge play at some level, but it's not at the same scale as, say, you know, taking out a scalpel or a knife or it's more surface level scraping, so to speak, than it is actual like deep tissue. 
And so you have a bit more fun with it that way, and it's more entertaining with the impact factor. And um, I personally, I have a want that I've never been able to hunt down. And it was, I've mentioned this guy before, where down in Florida, there was a guy who was, he was strictly kinky in a top. He was not interested in S&M. He was not looking for a power exchange. But he would Florentine electro whips. Oh, yeah, those are fun. And the thing is, is that he had them set in such a way that the setting was so low tuned that you got the best of impact as well as electro at the same time. So you didn't just get the electric factor. So it wasn't strictly electro play. So you'd get Mm -hmm. the stingy of being beaten with a cat of nine tails with the extra little sting of a mild electric shock. It was a beautiful artistry right there. It was absolutely an artist taking their art to the finest level. And I would kill to hunt down a set of those because I would play with them in a heartbeat. That would be so much fun. Electro's not even my specific wheelhouse on a regular basis, but I would experiment with those so bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes, blood is That's tasty. Like total sense. <laughs> um. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm gonna address this since it's easier to to say it than to type it all out. Yes. I have made a pair of vampire gloves, mm-hmm. and it's super easy. Um, because I did just get asked, like, you know, how do you make these? Um, so I've I went to I actually went to the thrift store and found a pair of leather gloves so that if I butchered them, I wasn't like heartbroken. And you turn them inside out after you clean them and condition them and all that. Turn them inside out. And then I took cardboard from a cereal box and cut it into strips that matched kind of my fingers. Yeah. And then I took thumbtacks and I poked them through the cardboard so that it made like a nice strip. And then I sewed that cardboard strip into the fingers of the gloves um, and turned it so that when you turn it right side and you put your hand in, it pokes through. So just that that edge of the thumbtack was sticking through. And so the cardboard kind of gave it some more staying power shall we Mm -hmm. say to keep the thumbtacks kind of like in place and yeah go to town because you can sterilize it which was really nice and even as the like cardboard breaks down it's on the inside of the glove so it's not contaminating the person that you're beating um that way too you can actually clean and disinfect it and i did and i have soaked the the gloves that i've used for that because i've got one pair that i've kept i have soaked them before because of the blood saturation so the cardboard's Mm -hmm. gone um yeah i am a kinky (laughs) macgyver hell fucking yes i am you spend enough time Um, in kink you just get into crafting you just do i I can diy some shit Um, so yeah that's how i made I mean, because you can buy commercial ones, and like if when you go on Etsy, like you'll see people selling them, and they're typically, as far as kink toys go, not that expensive. Like no, you can pick up a good pair of vamp under you have fifty to shop bucks. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a that was a quick and easy way for me to make a pair, so that I found gloves. Because the other thing is because I have acrylics, <laughs> wearing gloves is dicey for me. It is arts and crafts with Knox. That's fine. I mean, I'm going to do a and a with Auntie Knox, so I guess it kind of fits. There you go. But no, because I've got acrylics, though, I have to be careful wearing gloves. Right. Because they can actually, I've, I've broken nails before spanking and stuff. Oh, I'm gloves sure. On. So it was a nice way for me to, to make a pair for myself that actually fit. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. So now I've got two pairs that See, I, I DIY'd. I, I have to take a geeky moment on this because not everybody's even going to know what I'm referring to. But 
it was it was still back in Florida because you know between the move in Minnesota one I didn't have the same kind of budget to play with. But mm-hmm. I had a friend of mine and I, and for those who are book readers who are into horror or whatnot, there's a guy by the name mm-hmm. of Brian Lumley who writes the Necroscope novels. Um, very heavily vampire-oriented on a very adult, gloves-off kind of way. Not Twilight or, you know, not not human-earth vampires. Let's leave it at that. If it's something you're curious mm-hmm. about and you're into deep horror, um, including body horror and, you know, those kinds of things, look it up. It's a saga that's been out for mm-hmm. well over decades. It's an amazing reading series. That's called um, what again? It starts with, the Necroscope is the first one. And it starts with this British guy by the name of Harry Keogh learning he could speak to the dead. <laughs> That's completely unrelated to the vampires. Like, unrelated this is, completely. Yeah. But it ends up going that way because in the result, he inadvertently comes across vampires on Earth. But the way this story is told by Lumley, the universe here is that the vampires don't come from Earth. Hmm. They come from another whole world. And that oh. gets into, it involves uh, ESP and humans, and it's a very interesting read set. Like, it, it covers a lot of different topics in a very interesting way. But the reason that I was talking about it in the first place, coming back full circle to the point, sorry. I had my geek <laughs> moment. It's a really good series. Okay. It, no, no, I'm looking it up on Amazon now, so. Um, I'm currently back through the Blood Wars saga, for anyone who has actually followed them before. Um but they talk about these these vampires, or Wamphiri is the proper term they use for the full-blown type in the other world. Mm-hmm. And they refer to a Wamphiri gauntlet. A Wamphiri gauntlet is like a metal bracer, except mm-hmm. everything from the knuckles down is this array of scythes, needles, slashing implements. It's just a brutal, flexible, destructive toy. And it is their best common, the gentleman's weapon for them, so to speak. Because by flexing once, they can lay someone open from head to toe. Like, Stop, I can only be so erect. Right? Well, I had a friend of mine and I who had friends who were in the SCA and AmpGuard and all those wonderful places who were metalsmiths who crafted us a pair. And they weren't obviously one-to-one because, you know, you want them to actually Mm -hmm. be safe to play with. But they were, you know, they had certain, the back end had like pokey implements, the front end had slashy implements, and it was used for carefully controlled blood play a couple of times. And obviously they didn't last very long because you had to deal with contamination and all that. So they didn't get long-term use. And I wouldn't, okay. safety-wise. I'm sure there's and, ways you yeah. can do so, but that is a very costly venture to get into continuing with. I would consider it in the future if I had the money to do it again. But, oh, man, it was so much fun. Because literally flexing your forearm into somebody and watching their skin rip. Yeah, Damn. yeah. Damn. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm, I may have a thing for blood play. <laughs> Someone didn't somehow know that already on this podcast. You know it now. Anyway. So funny. It is what it is. So funny. Okay. All right. Well. I, I'm happy with this. I am, absolutely. I think we covered all kinds of range on it. We've covered the safety bits <laughs> and, the t- and the fun bits and a little of everything, which is kind of the point. <laughs> perhaps one day yes <laughs> uh, yes all right. yes all the blood yes. players in the room please stand up right. 
<laughs> we're a special sort, and I'm okay with we that. We are. We don't have to be common people. I'm good with no. that. No. Um, it's, it's very happy. I don't have anything else to add, do you? I can't think of anything. I, f I feel like we uh, did a good job. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for those who've actually come to the live audience. We weren't fully expecting one today for a variety of reasons, but we're glad for everybody who ever attends, always. I made it fun. No, absolutely. And that's exactly part of the reason we do it. Um, for those mm -hmm. that will listen later when we post and post the broadcast, thank you especially as well, because that's literally why we do this. For anyone listening all over the world. And otherwise, thank you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much.